you want to start or not? Okay. Huh? Go ahead. You want me to? Yeah. Okay, we're back. We're um, we're going to cover ten and eleven, and um, we're just told to trim it down a little bit, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do we need to take these these are my two these are two of my favorite steps because we do all this work right and we get all cleaned up. See, a lot of people think that you grow by working the first nine. I don't really believe that. I believe what we do is we clear away what's blocking me from God in the first nine, and then I grow in ten, eleven, and twelve. That's Sorry. that's where I grow. And that's where I get to see what the spiritual life really is all about. And the last thing I forgot to mention when we were talking about amends, somebody just brought it to my attention. When you make an amend, the worst thing you can do is to try to figure out how it's going to go. Never do that. Because I've never had an amend yet go exactly the way I thought it would. I've had people that I thought would welcome me back with open arms, tell me to get the heck out of their life. I've had people um, who I never thought would speak to me again welcome me back. So we get done with amends, and actually we start this process before we're through amends. And what my sponsor had me do is read 10 and 11 out of the book every morning and do what it said to do, and read 10 and 11 out of the book every night and do what it said to do. There's a thing about being disciplined that we don't have, right? (laughs) And the book says that we let God discipline us this way, but the truth of it is is that I have to sign up to sit down and do this stuff. I'm a believer that drunks do not do anything unless they see a benefit in it for themselves. I mean, I didn't come to AA unless there was some kind of benefit for me. I certainly didn't come here just to become an altruistic human being. (laughs) Right? And... um, 10 and 11 was like this for me. It was like it was like being around these people and doing this deal because I committed to doing it, but I didn't start to see the benefits for quite some time. Okay? Um, the 10th step has so much in it, and it's only a couple pages, so I'm going to quickly read it and just hit on a couple of highlights because there's so much in the 10th step. Um <clears throat> So on page 84, it says, This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. Now here's the first big deal about the 10th step. We have entered the world of the Spirit says that in 10. I made a decision to turn my will and life over to the care of God in the third step, right? But it says to me in the 10th step is where we've entered the world of the Spirit. Here's where I am. I've gotten here. Now what do I do with it? Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Now, a lot of people... And I think, too, it, it talks about understanding and effectiveness of how to carry this message. That's what I think a lot of this is. But what ends up happening is, because I'm awake now, and not 
consumed with myself by the time I get done with nine. What ends up happening is I start to grow in understanding and effectiveness simply because I am aware of everything that's going on out here. Right? Where before, I wasn't even aware of you. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. A lot of people have talked to me about the 10th step, that that little bit of the paragraph is the 10th step. That's not the 10th step. That's a small part of it. And the reason it's there is to keep me out of me. My job according to the 10th step, is to carry the vision of God's will into all of my activities. That's my job. How can I do that if I'm consumed with me? I can't. Now, what makes me consumed with me? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So what they're talking about here as far as I'm concerned, Dave may have a whole different approach to this deal. But as far as I'm concerned, all that is is an exercise to keep me out here so that I can carry the vision of God's will into all my activities. Because there's two things that have got to occur for me to be able to do that. One is, I can't be consumed with me. And the second thing is, I have to stay in the here and now. I cannot be out here. I can't be back here. If I've gone through the first nine steps and I've still got regrets or something from the past, I've done it wrong. I better start looking at why. Or if I've got demons chasing me from the past and I'm done with nine, I better find out why. So you hear a lot, if you're new, you hear about this thing called ten-step buddies. And I have a couple of very close ten-step buddies and then I have a few others that I use. But here's what we do is the best analogy I ever heard about this this portion of the book about continuing to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And what most drunks do when they first come into the tenth step, they keep taking their spiritual temperature all the time. And what ends up happening is you're always looking at yourself again. <laughs> That's not what this is about. What this is about is like driving a car down the street. You're not sitting there all tensed up, right? You're just watching. And all of a sudden, there's a car over to the right. Okay, well, I can't go that way. I mean, it's about that simple. It really and truly is. So what we do is we continue to watch for, and it tells me continue because it's going to continue to happen, (coughs) selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Now, I can recognize, by the time I get here, I can recognize resentment and fear and don't mind admitting that very much. It's really no big deal. I'll tell you what I don't like to admit is that I'm lying, being dishonest, or selfish. Those are the two I don't like to admit. So it says, what do we do when we get this? Right? All of a sudden, I'm sitting there and I'm going through my day and all of a sudden, I'm just consumed with all kinds of things. It happened to me just five, ten minutes ago. 
I got a text. I went up to my room and I got a text on a real estate deal I'm doing. We, ha I think we have a problem. Will you call me tomorrow when you get out of your retreat? Whoa, my head's all over the place. And I'm about to come down and talk to you people about staying in the now. Right? You know? So I sat there. I didn't call somebody. I asked God to remove my fear of financial insecurity, right? And that I'll deal with it tomorrow when we're done with this. And it'll either happen or it won't. No big deal. But then it says, when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. At once. Not two days later. I have had so many people ten-stepping with me lately. People calling me to ten-step. And when I ask this question, I say, have you asked God to remove it? They all say, no, not yet. Because why? Some of us hold on to these like they're childhood friends we don't want to get rid of them we enjoy the drama we enjoy the fear we enjoy being pissed but it keeps me in my head so it's all about getting out of my head so then it says we ask God at once to remove them here's the line that the 10 step buddy thing comes from is we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. What I personally do is when these things crop up, I'll ask God at once to remove them. If they stay on me, and I can't think of somebody else and get out of my head, then I will call a 10-step buddy. And I have got designated 10-step buddies. If you don't have them, go find them. It's that simple. If you don't want a 10-step, it's because you're protecting your ego. I guarantee it. So if I'm holding on to something, and when I was newer, I'd hold on to something for two days before I realized I was sort of being pissy, right? When truthfully, I was up to here in fear or selfishness. Because I didn't know what was going on. I really didn't. It took my body and my brain a couple of years to straighten itself back out again. I heard a uh, doctor say one time that people that come from abusive backgrounds, and what do we do when we drink and drug? We're abusing ourselves, right? That the receptors for fear and for sex and for anger get all mixed up. So we don't know what we feel. And I think it takes some of us a very long time to figure out how we feel or what we feel. What does fear really feel like? What does anger really feel like? Yeah. Yeah, can be. But, I mean, one of the things that I came to find out is anything that feels good to the body, I go to when I'm scared. So, sex, sometimes I'm not wanting sex, but I'll go there to get out of my head, right? Because I'm scared. Food? Food's another one. Food's another good one. There's all these different things. So it takes me some time to figure out, am I really resentful? Am I really scared? For me, they're not the same. They're two totally different things. How do I feel deep down inside, down in here, when I'm being selfish? I don't know about you, but my, my I don't know, there's sort of, my gut just starts to, get a little tight when I'm really being selfish. 
God's telling me something. What about being dishonest? You know, how does that feel? So I call somebody and I own up to what I'm doing. Why? Well, for two reasons. One is I need a different perspective. And most of the time, and yeah, Bob and I, we probably call each other more than anybody else. Most of the time, the other one says, it really doesn't have nothing to do with you. All right? But sometimes they give you a different perspective. But my 10-step buddies will always turn it to, where are you being selfish? Where are you being dishonest? Where are you? What is your part in this deal? See, there's a freedom in admitting you're wrong. You can't get past something till you admit where you're at. It's an impossibility. All of AA is based on that. Every bit of it. So we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately, make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then here comes the hard part. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. doesn't say we mull it over. We try to figure out how to really hammer that person. Right? It doesn't say we beat ourselves up for being that way. It doesn't say we go into morbid reflection. Oh, I should be better than this. Anytime you say you should be better than this, it's just your ego getting its ass kicked. So don't worry about it. Okay? And then you resolutely turn your thoughts to someone you can help. And what I've come to learn with that is it's whatever's going on in the here and now. If I'm in an office, maybe I'll get the secretary a cup of coffee. If it's somebody else that I haven't talked to that's going through a tough time, I'll give them a call. It could be a multitude of things. A lot of me is about calling my daughter and seeing how she's doing. Just doing something to get me out of myself, right? Okay, so that's that part of the 10th step. Then it says, love and tolerance of others is our code. That's a huge one because most of us don't come in here with a loving and tolerant attitude toward life. I've always looked at life like the enemy. I think I said that before. Right? One of the things, I didn't really see a benefit to being loving and tolerant toward everyone. I really didn't. And it wasn't until I was sober quite some time and I was sitting in the middle of a fifth step and I was really sick of who I was. And, and that's usually what happens to me is I get real sick of who I am and then I go through the steps for a change. And... Uh, this person looked at me, and he was one of the nicest guys you ever wanted to meet. And uh, he looked at me, and he goes, he goes, you know, Mike, you can be a real prick. And I went, yeah, I can. He says, what about the idea that, there, that if you're going to sign up for this program, that your intent on a daily basis needs to be loving and tolerant toward others? And I said, yeah, but I don't know how to do that. And he said, absolutely, you're absolutely right. You don't know how to do that. He said, I want you to start every single morning in your prayer and meditation and ask God to show you the way of patience, tolerance, and love towards your fellow man. Because if you're connected to God, then I'm connected to all of you. Period. That's the way it is. And I started to do that. And here's what I found out. I started to find out that I would be in situations that I would normally act in a negative way. I was acting in a positive way. 
And I wasn't doing it because I'm a nice guy. I wasn't doing it because I was planning to. I wasn't doing it for any of those reasons. I was doing it because God was changing my heart. When love and tolerance of others becomes my code. Now here's another one. Ten steps got so much that, you know, we could talk, Dave and I could talk about it for forever. And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. I'll get there. Even alcohol. Anything and anyone, even alcohol. That means I quit fighting the world. Right? I quit fighting this real estate deal that might be blowing up. It means I quit fighting the problem that is in front of me. It means I have, by this time, sanity will have returned. I will quit fighting alcohol. But I need to, if I'm spiritually fit, I have no handles. The world cannot grab me. There's a biblical term that says, wear the world like a loose garment. And when I'm physically fit and spiritually fit, that's the way I live my life. I wear the world like a loose garment. Stuff just sort of rolls off my back. I can always tell when it's time to go back through the steps again and I start getting jerked again. Everything starts to bug me. Traffic lights, people. You know, I can get pissed at people that drive in the outside lane of the highway. You know? And when that kind of stuff starts to bug me, I know that I'm not spiritually fit. For by this time, sanity will have returned. They're talking about the insanity of the first drink. We'll seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. AA never attacks the drinking. Have you ever noticed that? We don't go through things like treatment centers do to attack our drinking. AA says you come in, you throw both feet in the, in the fire, you work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and this promise of the drink problem being removed is going to happen for you. That you're going to be able to go out and live a life without even thinking about taking a drink, a drug, or anything. That you're going to actually be able to go and do that. And yet people sit back and they go, I don't understand how this thing works. <laughs> well, this is what's promised to me if I work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Here's, here's what I believe. And I drank after I came to AA. So I'm not pointing fingers. But if you drink, if you do drugs, after you have come into this program, it's because you want to. There's no other reason. The answer is right here. Put the responsibility on your own shoulders. 
Period. That's it. Okay, so it says this next line is huge. It is easy to let up on a spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. What are laurels? Past deeds, right? We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Right? People do not sign out of AA. They drift out of AA. They go to sleep. That's what happens. They go to sleep. One of the things I have really and truly found out is that I am sometimes the worst judge of how I'm doing. Some of the most seemingly bad things that have happened to me since I've sobered up have turned out to be some of the best things that could have happened and some of the seemingly really great things that have happened to me where I got everything I wanted have turned out to be some of the not-so-good things kind of thing. Frank used to say to me all the time, he'd say, what did you do today to stay sober? That's a real simple thing, isn't it? What did you do today to stay sober? I don't want to hear about your meeting yesterday. I don't want to hear about your 12-step call last weekend. I don't want to hear about you writing inventory tomorrow. What did you do today to stay sober? He used to get me all the time when we get into inventory. He'd always he'd come in the club and he'd sit there and he'd look at you and he'd go, "What step are you on?" And I'd go, "I'm on four. You know that." He said, "You right today?" I said, "No, but I did yesterday." He says, "You're not doing four. Why don't you go down to the bar and have a drink?" God damn it! <laughs> he'd get up and walk away. Right. Well, here's what he taught me. He taught me that what I do today is what's important, not what I did yesterday. And I've seen so many people die from this disease, and they just sort of drift away. They get the things back. You know, there's these trite sayings that I sort of like, which one of them is, don't let the gifts AA gives you take you out of AA. You know, we get things back. We get things going. We start making a living. We start getting relationships with people who are halfway decent. And uh, and we we start to let these things take us out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Here's where I come from. This is what my tenth step is. Every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve Thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. All of a sudden, it's telling me to think again, that I have a proper use of the will, and that's to carry the vision of God's will into all my activities. And I'm going to tell you how I do that. Here's how I do that. In my 11th step in the morning, I have a list of everything I'm going to do that day. Sometimes I write it out. Sometimes it's in my phone now. And I put everything in there. Okay? And I go through that list. After I've done when I after I started my morning meditation, and on each thing that I have, I go, God, please show me how to carry the vision of Your will into this activity. And then I just quit thinking about it. I let Him show up, and it will blow you away if you're in the here and now to see it. I don't figure out how He's going to have me do it. 
I let him show up in the middle of it. And it's a mind blower sometimes. Sometimes I get my mind blown because of this stuff. This is such an adventure. If you keep seeking spiritual awakenings, you're going to have them. If you keep doing this deal, you're going to start to see that there's a power working in you that is going to blow your mind. God is in the details. Trust me. He really and truly is. So we're going to do 10 and 11 tonight. And um, I think you want to talk about 10? Exactly. Oh, got a question. When you do your list, how detailed are you? I mean, is it like getting the shower, <coughs> brush my teeth, get dressed, or is it like get ready for work, go to work, be at this appointment? I mean, have you you have you listened to Frank's talks? He used to have us do this deal where for two weeks he would have us write down the most detailed list there is. Includes going to the bathroom, included get up, brush your teeth. I mean, detailed to the max. And then what he would have is what he would say to us is, "You can do anything on that list, but you can't do one thing that's not on the list." Right? You don't have to do everything on the list, but you can do everything that's on there. And so I, I have a very detailed list. I really do. Not not that I'm going to go to the bathroom. But I do have on the list, get up so-and-so time, you know, go and meet this person at 9 o'clock, go to the grocery store, that kind of thing. What's your question? Do you want to talk about 10 or do you want me to go on to 11 and then you share yours? Um, <coughs> whatever you, what do you prefer? Why don't you do 10? Okay. I'm tired. <laughs> David Alcoholic. Hey, David. Uh, much like, like uh, Mike talked about when I was new, uh, my first sponsor um, had me reading uh, 84, 85, 86, 87, 10 and 11. And, um, and as I've shared before, you know, I got the sobriety date, got a sponsor, but then I didn't do nothing for 14 months. I dove into building, not restoring, but actually having a career, you know, <laughs> my, my first career. And my first career was selling life insurance, okay? And not the long sell life insurance, the flim flam life insurance. Forty minutes, I'm in your house. If I'm in your house, forty minutes, you're buying. Okay. Uh, anyway, I don't know where this fear of people came from, but by the time I got sober, I had it. Terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair. You know, I've been bombed. I've been gassed. I've been shot at, and there was fear and all that but nothing like at the end of my drinking. Okay, I used to go out of town to do my laundry because I couldn't stand staying on base. And I'm sitting there doing my laundry with a fifth of Jack Daniels between my legs. These families coming in and out, their kids and everything, and I'm looking at them like, what's your problem? Okay, Because I was terrified of people. And now I'm sober. I've got no solution. I'm not interested in the solution. I'm full bore in every uh, character defect I can possibly come up with to fill the void of alcohol and I'm going in, out and, and uh, starting my first career. I told you that I had a, I was getting ready for a job interview on the day that I got sober. I made the job interview and I got the job shaking like a dog shitting peach pits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
That's a California boy My mom's okay. My mom is straight Alabama. All right. I'm gonna tell you, she's Alabama all the way. All right. So how she married an East LA Mexican, I don't even know. All I know is I got a taste for both Cuervo and Jack Daniels. So um, anyhow, so I hate people. Okay, and now I gotta go stand in front of them and pitch them in 40 minutes or less to make a lifetime commitment and ask them for a check. All right? About something I can't even qualify for because of my alcoholism. I can't even qualify for the life insurance I'm selling, not because I'm a physical risk, because I'm too high of a moral risk. All right? So anyway, so my territory was two hours away. And I'd have this drive of two hours, and it was Congress up here. <laughs> 500 dudes up here talking and all want to be president. Okay? And I would be, by the time I got up to Stockton, California, I wanted to quit. I wanted to kill somebody. I wanted to go back in the Marine Corps. I wanted to be ev- anywhere than where I was at. I did that for about a month, and I was, what am I supposed to do with this? And he gave me this. So why don't you do this on your way up and talk to God about this, right? He was setting me up. He was putting me on tea. He said, I want to hear about it when you come back in the morning, because I'd leave, in the, I'd leave it at the all-evening appointment, so I wouldn't leave till like, lunch. I want to hear about it. And he was setting me up, and I come back, well, where were you resentful, self-dishonest, and afraid? And I would tell him, he says, well, is that current stuff, or is that old stuff? How do I know? I've never done an inventory. <laughs> How do I know where this pile is coming from? Is it really current or is it stuff that's old? Right? How am I going to know if I don't do the first nine first? Right? Is it current or is it old? I don't know. And in doing that, it built trust with my sponsor. Just getting getting a mindset towards this kind of thinking and eventually getting to a point of going, got to do the first nine. Right, and um, this entering in the world of the spirit is. Let me preface this by saying this: that I think the effectiveness of ten is 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 going to be based on the two steps that sandwich it. Okay, if I'm still dragging anchors into the present, which is step ten. I'm not, it's not going to be as effective. And if I'm not doing these daily disciplines on 11, my step 10 is not going to be as effective. I believe that the effectiveness of 10 has to do with everything, where I'm at with my past, and where, what am I doing setting this stuff up in the evening and morning, in my 11th step. Because 10 step is a right he, about right here, right now, with you in my face. Okay, This isn't like I get resentful. right? You're in front of me. I get resentful, selfish, dishonest, and afraid. And I'm going to go home and write about it and call my sponsor and think about it. This is right here. This is happening right now. And my effectiveness to respond in this manner that this is outlined is really predicated on the power that's coming flowing through me at that moment. And so if I'm still dragging in anchors from the ninth step, the channel's still clogged. Okay? The channel's still clogged. And if I'm not clearing it out and getting it ready in, in 11... 
it's still clogged. Okay? So, um, but this entering the world of the Spirit, this is an opportunity to live, live a life where you're not only not drug around by alcohol anymore, this is an opportunity to, be, to not be drug around by your emotions, your mental obsessions, your impulses, your physical and material desires, to live and operate from the realm of the Spirit in this world. To be given power over those things. There's a, there's a line back in how it works in the very beginning. It talks about there are those two who have grave emotional mental disorders. And I always hear people talking about how that's tied into people that are somehow have clinical mental emotional disorders. But it never talks about it in that context. And it comes on the heel heels of, agnostic, of uh, we agnostics. And what I was taught about that is that there are those who have grave emotional mental disorders. And what did the we agnostics talk about? We worshipped our ideas. We worshipped sentiment. And this is out of order. And for an alcoholic to continue to live a life that is driven by mind and emotion is a grave situation. This means it will kill me. And we get here in, in nine. It, on nine, we are on the threshold of no longer being drugged around by just that, my mind and my emotions. I don't need to be afraid of my emotions. God gave me emotions to feel. Emote. It's emotions that get me into action. It's emote. Emotion that gets me into motion. Without that, I don't get into motion. <coughs> Apathetic people don't get into motion. Because right? they don't feel anything. It's, so, it's a sociopathic position. It's emotional nature's out of control in the other way. Okay? Emotions get me into motion. Action. Okay? And so we have this opportunity to, to this threshold of entering into this world of the spirit and no longer be drug around by that. So that we can, like Mike so eloquently talked about, carry a vision of God's will into all our activities. Um, that's all I have on it. That was good. I like that. <laughs> Okay, the 11th step, and I totally agree with Dave that this whole thing, this whole thing is combined. All right, the 10th step is about staying in the here and now. Here's my analogy of how 10 and 11 work together, okay? It's like a computer. When you boot up a computer in the morning, what does it do? It checks everything, makes sure everything's running right, it makes sure the power source is plugged in. If your printer's not plugged in, it, it tells you, right? I mean, it makes sure everything's running fine, and then the computer boots up, right? What happens all through the day? You got spot checks, you got your Norton antivirus running, you got this going on, you got that going on, and then at the end of the day, you boot down your computer, what does it do? It makes sure everything's okay, it makes sure everything's aligned, everything's set up, and then it shuts down. To me, that's 10 and 11 combined. That's how I look at it. I look at it like in the morning, I boot up, 
I use the 10 step throughout the day and if I'm awake at my review at night, I know exactly where I've been selfish, where I've been self-seeking, where I've been thinking of myself only, where I haven't packed anything into the stream of life. Do I owe an amend? I know exactly what I'm doing, right? So the two of them work totally together. So it says on the bottom of page 85, it says, Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. What's the proper attitude? Willingness. We have one willingness. What's the proper attitude? Lay aside prejudice. They're all good answers. My proper attitude is who's God and who's the drunk. See, I don't know about you, but I can get twisted up. I can start to think God's supposed to do for me, not the other way around. So for me, the proper attitude is God's God, I'm the drunk, and my purpose is to go out and carry His message, right? That's my job. Carry the vision of His will into all my activities. So... It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. I had a fortunate thing to happen to me. I did a big book workshop in Akron five, six years ago, and they took me to an Oxford group meeting down at that church, and I can't... What's the name of it? Anyway, uh, there's a church that still has an Oxford group meeting. And this guy that was 90-some years old got up and spoke. And he was one of the members of the Oxford group when Dr. Bob came into the Oxford movement. And he got up and spoke. And he spoke about how AA is way too easy on us. (laughs) About how those guys had to go to church every morning. How those guys couldn't get up off their knees until they had a conscious contact with God. And he said, you guys don't talk about God enough. It was great. I just love this guy. I really did. So here's where it starts. It says, when we retire at night, it starts in the night, not in the morning, for a specific reason. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Now again, I say, if you're awake and in the moment, You're going to know all these answers. If you're caught up in your head about, is this real estate deal going to make? Is this girl going to leave me? Is my boyfriend going to run out the door? Is, you know, oh my God, of course we can get so petty, we just want to get to Starbucks on time. You know, that can occupy some of our brains, right? So, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Did you know that Benjamin Franklin did a five-page review every single night? Wrote it out? Frank had us write these out for a long time. Where were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Here's one I have never been able to answer yes to unless I was homesick. (laughs) Were we kind and loving toward all? (laughs) What could we have done better? 
What a great question. What could I have done better today? And I don't mean in the spirit, just in the spiritual realm. Could I have worked harder? Could I have given my boss an honest day's work? You know, could I have treated my daughter better? Could I have treated my girlfriend better? I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time, or were we thinking of what we could do for others? Of what we could pack into the stream of life? You know, so we answer that question. But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. Okay, so what does that mean? It means I don't sit around and beat myself up. I answer the questions, and then it says, after making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. Now, I personally do not sit around and meditate about what corrective measures I should take. I'm done. Because when I get up the next morning and reboot, reboot the computer, the answers to what I should have done, what corrective measures I should do, are going to be there. See, when I ask God to do stuff that He's supposed to do, I believe He's going to do it. I don't doubt it. I really don't. Then it goes into on awakening. Now, one last thing about the evening review. A lot of people will say to me, Oh, I'm just so tired. And I watched Jimmy Fallon. And then I, I was going to do it. And then I fall asleep. And, you know... It doesn't have to be the absolute end of the night. I'll do my I'll do my review sometimes at six, seven o'clock before I even go to the meeting or something. Okay? Tonight I'll do it here because it's nice and quiet and I don't have T V, thank God. <laughs> On awakening, let us think about the twenty four hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Here comes the list. And the list has been a proven thing for years. It's one of the best things any business person can do is make a list of what you've got to do to keep you on track. Well, I think it's good for life, too. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. I hit this place years ago where I realized that sometimes I wake up scared, or sometimes I wake up already scheming about what I need to do that day. And I ask God, I said, God, would you make that very first thought I have in that place between sleep and consciousness, this prayer. And ever since that day, this is my first thought. It's an amazing thing. Because my brain can take off like this. All right? Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave us brains to use. I hate it when people who have been sober for a long time go, Oh, I'm just an alcoholic. I can't use my brain. I've been told, you know, that my best thinking got me here. If you've worked the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and you do this stuff, then guess what? You get to use your brain. <laughs> because I'm telling you, this is leading into what's the, the bonus thing for this whole deal is intuitive thought. And this is leading to intuitive thought, which is what 
it, it's the it's the creme de la creme. It's the conscious contact. It's the walking with God on a second by second basis, and being able to go, what should I do here, and getting the answers. It's amazing stuff when I'm plugged in. Am I always plugged in? No. What takes me away from being plugged in? Me. Isn't that amazing? I get excited when I talk about this. <laughs> so we ask God to direct our thinking. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave his brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may face indecision. People say to me, I don't know how to make a decision. Well, it tells you in the book. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. Then the next line is we relax and take it easy. We don't go out and attack. We relax and take it easy. I have really come to the point now where if I have major decisions to make that I'm not sure about, I will never make them that day. I will ask God and I'll make them the next day. And it's really benefited me over the years. We don't struggle. We are often surprised how the right answers come after we've tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. That's intuitive thought. Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on a plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. Frank had us listening to our intuitive thought all the time. If, if you're driving down the street and you think, I need to go buy some gum, go buy some gum. I should get coffee at Einstein's instead of Starbucks, go to Einstein. That's your intuitive thought. You've got, to learn, you've got to start to learn through this process how it feels. What is intuitive thought? How, does it, how do I work with it? Where is it? It's in here. And pretty soon I start to develop this idea of what intuitive thought is. We usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that I be shown all through the day what our next step is to be. Step. Step-by-step step directions. See, I didn't know how to live life when I came to AA. I lived life like a hungry pit bull. I needed to learn how to live a successful life that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. So tonight I'm going to say, God, give me whatever I need to take care of this real estate problem and take me out of the equation. I don't even want to think about what I make out of it. It's not, it's not even essential. We ask especially for freedom from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. Now, boy, have people really screwed around with that one. <laughs> They'd really be helped if I won the lottery. Yeah, right? We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. 
If we belong to a religious denomination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also, and trust me, that is the best way to kick your meditation to a new level, is Mm -hmm. buy some spiritual books. And I can give you a list of writers like Emmett Fox and Thomas Merton, who are my two biggest heroes there is, Eckhart Tolle. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Suggestions about these may be obtained from one's priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. Now, I'm going to hurry this down so Dave can finish it off, but I really want to talk about this part. Frank and all these guys were real big into this thing called the pause. And this is where it comes from. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful. Now, the first thing i got to do is find out what it feels like to be agitated. We're not talking about pausing when I'm about ready to jump this guy's head, right? We're talking about when I first get agitated. Or when I'm in doubt. We ask God for the right thought or action. We constantly remind ourselves we're no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times each day, Thy will be done. So what that's about is pausing when I'm agitated or doubtful. Go to God. Stop. Pritch used to tell me all the time. He'd say, if you're driving down the street and you're agitated, just pull off on the side of the road. Pause. Because where I get in trouble is when I'm out there with no direction and I'm all caught up in myself and I'm hurrying around. That's when I get in trouble. How many of us say many times each day, thy will be done? I used to put a three by five card. I wore suits back in those days after I got some jobs. I put three by five cards in like four or five pockets so that every pocket I'd go in, I'd remind me to say, Thy will be done. Now it's pretty much a habit with me. We are then in much less danger of excitement. I used to think excitement was great. I still do. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I've jumped out of airplanes. I, I, I like speed excitement. I mean that kind of stuff. And I don't mean speed the drug. I have to remember who I'm talking to here. (laughs) I'm talking about I ride my Harley hard. I used to love to jump out of airplanes. I like going fast. I'm just one of those kind of guys. It's just the way it is. Fear, anger, worry, self-pity. Self-pity is a killer of alcoholics. And we don't talk about self-pity enough in Alcoholics Anonymous. Or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily. We're not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. This is a way of living, folks, in 10 and 11 that takes me out of me and turns me to you with the power of God working in my life. And if I will listen to this stuff and do this stuff, I get better at it and better at it and better at it and better at it. This isn't something I'm going to know how to do the first day I'm exposed to it. It takes a lifetime. And sometimes I fall hard. And I better shut up. 
It was awesome. You go, babe. All right. So what is prayer and what is meditation? You know, prayer is uh, talking to God and meditation is listening to God. And, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth, which indicates what, you know, how much time I should be doing more than the other. And my sponsor said probably about ten times as much you ought to be listening. And, <laughs> and um, so I talked about, uh, I mentioned that um, the effectiveness of ten you know, uh, having a lot to do with the two steps that sandwich it. And um, one of the things that I do when I sponsor people, um, when we get into 11, is I want them to do 30 days straight of 11 steps with me. And I want to hear it every day. The only reason I, I do that is because I want them to experience what it's like to have God out in front of them. Because at some point you roll it, or God rolls it, where the correct <laughs> you're 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 getting a lot more positive answers out of these questions, and you are getting negative answers out of these. You're getting a lot less corrective measures, and you start seeing this being a proactive step rather than a reactive step. Okay. Um, there are times where I'll do this review. I do the setup in the morning. I got this path. I believe God wants me to walk on that uh, today. I go through my thing. And I come back to do a review. And lo and behold, there is (laughs) resentment, selfishness, dishonesty, and fear. No big deal. But what's really impressive to me is that it didn't have the power to knock me off the path of what I was doing that what God wanted me to do that day. It's almost like the tenth step took care of itself. Okay? Now that's that's not always, but but there's a lot of times when I do that night in the review and go, Wow. This happened. I got this resentment, but I wasn't knocked off the path. My effectiveness was not diminished. You know, and it should have been, right? And um, one of the things that I've been running into a lot the uh, last five years of sponsoring is, um, I don't know what it is exactly, but there's, these are people that are supposedly doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. My personal opinion is that they're navel-gazing. Okay, that they're just going so inward that it becomes a self-defeating practice. It's like if I keep doing this and keep doing this, I'll get more spiritual than the other guy. Okay, and it's like it kind of goes like this, right? They kind of just wave the hand on one, two, and three. They do a prayer. They write a little bit, a little bit of inventory. They might fist step some of it and or all of it. They go to six and seven. Do a quick seven-step prayer. There's no amends behind it. There's no nothing. And then there's no 10, 11, and 12 afterwards. And then they cycle right back through this. And it's always predicated by this idea that I don't feel connected. (laughs) My step work is stale. I feel like God's not with me. And the first thing I go after is not what they are doing, is what they're not doing. Tell me about 10 and 11. Because you know what's behind all that when they come to me and that? Will you take me through the steps? 
wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Let's see where you're at first. Really. This is absent. They think by going back through the first half-assed, by the way, by doing this cycle of four through seven, that's really what it is, is a cycle of four through seven is going to fix this. And all it does is it's making them sicker. It's actually pushing them out the door because they start to believe that it's not working. It doesn't work. They've, they've run the rope on Alcoholics Anonymous. And the first thing I go after is this right here. Okay, Tell me about your daily review. Tell me about where you're taking this out into all your activities. And it is absent. Why? Well, I don't feel connected. This is where we get connected, stay connected. I, I think it's the Grapevine article. You can find a language of the heart where Bill talks about step 11. I, it could be in the 12 and 12. I'm not sure. I think it's the article about step 11. But he talks about the 11th step being a turbine. It's where the, it's where the, it's where the energy is produced. <laughs> the power is produced that we need to go forward is in this 11th step. It's the power source. Okay? Um, people that have relapsed. And, I, I'm, and I'm working with them. I ask them, what did you do when you were here before? What did your 11th step look like? Non-existent. What did your 8th step, was your 8th step, step list done? No. All this stuff is absent. Okay? Um, it's, it's rarely about I don't go to meetings and I didn't go to meetings or I started falling away from meetings. So take a look at their step work. It's usually pretty shoddy or they haven't done it in a long time. They're li trying to live off an old experience. Okay? Uh, one of the traps that I fell into and I pushed it on to people that I sponsored is, uh, is that is, uh, this mindset that the, the next mistake I make in my character defects and whatever is going to be like the next drink that I take, right? And that is not the truth. And the 11th step confirms this. Got to be responsible for my own recovery, right? I got a book. I got to read it once in a while because the book doesn't allude to that. What's the book say the mistakes are going to turn into? Right? Being more and more on the plane of inspiration, we come to rely upon it. And I am fully in agreement with Mike, too, that God gave us brains to use. This, this, this thing we have about self-deprecating in a meaning of Alcoholics Anonymous to sound like I'm sicker than the next guy when I'm not is a disservice to the newcomer. It's not true. It's simply not true. It is a level of humility that helps nobody. That is not attractive to me when I was new. I walked into those kinds of meetings at first, and I hear this guy talking about how sick he still is at 25 years sober, and I'm thinking, and you want me to stay. <laughs> are, are you kidding me? I don't know what A is. I don't know what it isn't. But I don't want. I know I don't want sobriety to be that. Okay, I just don't. And, and I was telling, telling somebody yesterday. I said I, I just couldn't bring myself to believe that this is what was going on in AA. 
I just couldn't believe it. And thank God for a small minority that says, no, this is not what's going on if you don't want it to be. There is a real program. There is a real solution. Um, God gives brains to use. I don't need to be afraid of them. This thing about about making mistakes, presuming my will to be God's will and turning it into an opportunity to be more tuned into God, tells me, go make all the mistakes you want. Load up. Because <laughs> what's it going to be turned to? Right? Look, God has brought us this far and He's got a purpose for bringing us this far. The last purpose He has us, <laughs> has us doing bringing us this far is drinking again. I'm here. Alright? There's three kinds of prayer meditation in this whole thing. There's the audible prayer, there's a meditative prayer, and there's a contemplative prayer. Okay? I say that because if you've read Emmett Fox, like Bill Wilson listened to Emmett Fox, he threw this in here. Okay? And the contemplative prayer is this place where it talks about we usually conclude the period of meditation with the prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be. And I don't look at my feet. I walk right out the door. I don't stare at my feet and where I'm placing them. I trust that wherever God has me going, what He has me doing, <coughs> is exactly where He wants me to be and what He wants, what he wants me to do. I don't have to micromanage that shit. Okay? Dan... Dan Sherman out in Santa Monica is a good friend of mine. I kind of inherited him when Joe went off to Brazil. And so he, he said something one time about meditation. He says it a lot. He says, he says um, I do 16 hours of meditation a day. And the first thing out of my mouth is that you're so full of crap. Mm-hmm. And he, talked, he talks about how all through the day it's a meditation. That this spot right here all through the day, show me what my next step is to be. Is a contemplative meditation that all throughout today, that and what contemplative meditation, contemplative prayer really is, is about my actions are the prayer. My actions are the prayer. Okay, and I trust it. Okay. Um, this intuitive thought stuff gets can get downright spooky. <laughs> Maybe not to people like Mike and I, but people that aren't, aren't used to it, it can it can really freak some people out. Like right? you know, you you're talking to people and and uh, they go, "How did you know that? God, that's spooky." <laughs> Lots of listening to a lot of four steps, a lot of fifth steps, and doing our own, and and and, and this channel getting clear, and it's just you just kind of know, you just kind of watch it happen, you know. Um, I was out in Utah. Yeah, I was out in Utah making amends uh, a long time ago, <clears throat> and uh, some guys in AA. And I made my amends, and I thought it was going to be this whole nostalgic reunion, get misty, and all that other stuff. And and it wasn't that. I made my amends, got my business done, and God says, "Go back home." So I'm rat holed in this hotel, kind of just waiting until morning comes, and I'm laying there. It's late at night, ten o'clock. At night, and uh, I guess this jolt, I get this jolt down the inside that says, Get off your ass and go to the Alana Club at 10 o'clock at night on Saturday in Salt Lake City. And I'm like, No, I don't want to do that. 
<laughs> get off your ass. Go to the Alano Club. Go. Fucking crazy. I'm going to go up and prove that I am crazy. And this intuitive thought stuff is stupid. <laughs> I'm going to get up and go just to prove it to myself. But I'm not as clear as I think I am. So I, so I get up and I, and I go. I walk in. And what are they having? An AA dance. My second least favorite thing in alcoholism. <laughs> now this place has a meeting, 10 and 12. But oh no. They're going to suspend the meeting for the dance, which pisses me off even more. Right? <laughs> I, forget, I was talking to Bob. He said you guys had just come out of a meeting on relationships at the Dragon's Den. <laughs> it's about as ludicrous as that, right? <laughs> and so, so I said, that, okay, that's pretty funny, God, that's hilarious. And so... I get. I, I might as well get a cup of coffee while I'm here and be awake. And uh, <laughs> and so I get the coffee and I'm sitting. There. And there's this guy way off in the corner of the Alano Club that you can smoke in that one. Salt Lake City, amazingly enough, you can smoke in it, right? And it's a guy that was at my ten step group that I went to after making amends to these guys. My old ten step group. It's a bunch of Don Pritz cronies that I ran into in Salt Lake City. And uh, he was there, and nobody was talking to him. And I asked him when I was at the meeting, I said, why is nobody talking to that guy? I said, because he's crazy. I said, so what? <laughs> I was that guy when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, too. Stay away from that guy. You don't know what he's going to do. Okay? So I get it. I chatted the guy up. We're on the same page. We're fine. Right? So here I am at 10 o'clock at night in this Lana club not wanting to be there drinking coffee and this lunatic is over in the corner he gets this smile that goes like this like that he grabs his shit he beelines right to my table and sits down and I'm like right are you kidding me so we got to talking he's an old burnt out 80's hairband rocker so we got all kinds of stuff to talk about and as soon as the whole the air, hairband stuff goes away, right? I go, how long have you been sober? Yeah. He goes, I'm about 30 days. How long have you been at this thing? Four years. And I said, has anybody ever talked to you about the doctor's opinion? Nope. You want to talk about it? Sure. He's got nothing else to do. Where's he going to go? The curb? <laughs> I got a hotel room to go to. You know? He's not coming over there. <laughs> I'm gracious, but not that gracious. <laughs> I have limitations. Uh, we closed the place at 2 a.m. on our knees doing the third step prayer. I hand them off to the guys that I made amends to so they could finish him off the rest of the steps. That guy's still sober today. I share that with you because it was such a powerful experience of trusting my intuitive thought. And I've had a bunch of others, but this, that's the first one that came to mind. What if I just say, screw you, guy? You know what you're talking about. 
And I, you know, the whole thing, I think I'm out there to clean off my side of the street and just make amends. No. My real purpose is to be a match and service to God and my fellows. And that's what came out of that. Trust your intuitive thought. <coughs> I'm a dad. Most of all my parenting with my son, when I'm with my son, is almost all intuitive thought. I rarely bring logic into it <laughs> or reason. And we, we work out. It's awesome. We work out great. Okay? Um, this thing about other books and church and religions and all that stuff, I am 100% in agreement with Mike about that. The first place I was sent by my sponsor, I wasn't really given much of a choice, um, was so that I could maybe get over this resentment towards Christianity other than making the amends, was to actually read the Bible I was pissed off at. Um, because in seminary, all we did was we picked out parts, right? And then I had somebody else interpreting it for me. And he's a local, he's a minister in local Church of Christ. And I said, well, why don't we just do a Bible study together? He says, I don't want to rob you from your first ex- first experience of actually going through that, that book between you and God. You, why don't you just go have your own experience? Wow. And then as I told you, I got this resentment towards people in AA and what people were telling me was, was the lie and the truth and and so I had the service sponsor then I graduated over to, I moved over to just the A literature I hadn't read yet and I read everything I could get my hands on that was stamped Alcoholics Anonymous okay and then I started moving into well who influenced Alcoholics Anonymous I started reading all the Oxford group stuff well who influenced these guys right and I have a few favorites of my own, and I'd be happy to share that with you. But I also have a list that I think is pretty accurate and pretty complete of a, nearly all the literary influences that were on Alcoholics Anonymous via the Oxford groups. Uh, and I can send that to anybody on a, on a on a Word document. I have it on a Word document. So, um, And I haven't read them all, but I've read a, a, a good number of them. Uh, it's it's just interesting to me and, and that uh, where this came from and you know the things like we're, we're talking about here writing down an eleventh step. There's an example of there's actually an example of how they did that in the book for sinners only by A. J. Russell, they're, they're, the book of the Oxford. There's actually a, they, they they talk about how they did it and then they have an, actually have an example how they did this. It's fascinating. There's several books that were written by several or pamphlets written by several Oxford group authors on how to listen to God and this whole intuitive thought and putting it into action and what they did with that. There's several out there that are really, really powerful and really effective, you know. And, uh, you know, there used to be a couple of guys running around Alcoholics Anonymous for decades uh, doing big book studies, and, and, and they're really good at it. And, um, and they used to talk about the Oxford groups a lot, and they used to talking about this context that uh, they had too many loopholes for us as alcoholics. And I think, it, like Mike described, the, the old man had said, 97-year-old man had said, it wasn't that there was too many loopholes <laughs> at all. You, the, only, the only way you would say something like that is if you actually hadn't read the Oxford Group literature. Okay? You read that there is no loophole in the Oxford Group process. Okay? And um, 
but I encourage anybody to dive into that just to, to see where some of this stuff comes from. You know, this idea that Bill just did all this on his own is ridiculous. Okay, he had a lot of influences. You know, and a lot of that stuff is still just as effective as it was then. I, I went back to uh, the the um, to Cleveland not too long ago. I had an opportunity to go to the first official Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, which is still rolling, that Clarence started. And just as Clarence would probably love it, if he's, I'm sure he's not, I mean, he's probably happy as hell. <laughs> There's no traditions thing on the wall. There's 12 steps and four absolutes. Yep. And there's a Bible on the table. Okay. Yep. They read the four absolutes just to let everybody know what they are. And it's just fascinating. Right? And so, and I, and, you know, I, I haven't talked about it here because I, I want to stay about what's in the big book. But there are some practices in this process that we've talked about where I will incorporate the four absolutes because that was passed on to me. When, when I moved from sponsorship, Snyderite sponsorship to Don Pritz's family, I didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I got a lot of good stuff from those people. And that, that was, and one of those things was practicing the four absolutes and, and, uh, and I encourage anybody to try it out. Um, and that's all I have. Thanks. Thank you.